This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. When people are anxious, they often get sweaty hands, increased chest pressure, shortness of breath, may feel lightheaded, and may even feel tingling sensations in the arms and legs. By paying attention to these symptoms, they might even be able to start to calm down a little bit and self-regulate. Yet sometimes, when stuck in a loop of anxiety, people often turn to learned coping behaviors or addictions to help them deal with these unwanted sensations. Learning to deal with this pressure cooker before it turns into dysfunctional behavior is something that is the work of my guest, Eva Angert Haren. And according to Eva, dealing with a pressure cooker does not require changing your thoughts or trying to control things. It's actually quite different. It's more about being with the body, the somatic experience, and learning to release it. In this episode, we go into this and much more. Eva talks about her unique work helping people with anxiety, trauma-related disorders, and spectrum-related disorders. She helps them connect with their body and create awareness. This allows for more comfort with sensations and less anxiety and dysregulation. Eva and I share a common bond as bereaved parents. I was surprised that we jumped into this topic in our conversation, yet it was relevant. We discussed her somatic experience when she lost her daughter, Christina, and I share my somatic response during some of the experiences I had with my first son, Jordan, who passed away from pediatric cancer. Here's a little bit more about Eva. Eva is a certified somatic experiencing practitioner. She also is a certified integral coach and certified MRES practitioner through the Emotional Health Institute. She wrote a book called Beyond Recovery, Getting Unstuck from Life-Limiting Habits. And she has a thriving practice in Northern California and on the online offers courses and ways to work with her. Um, she is the founder of something called Beam Life, which is an approach to helping people with body-centered approaches to healing and complete wellness. You can find her work at evaangvert.com, E-V-A-A-N-G-V-R-T. I'm confident that you're going to enjoy our conversation and learn a lot from it. And we will get into this episode after a short announcement. So without further ado, welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Eva, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. I so just thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to speak with you. I was introduced to you through a conference that I was taking um, through the Institute of Functional Medicine. We were talking about uh, various topics like trauma and um, atypical depression. And your name came up as someone to really connect with um, because of your work, which we'll go into. And uh, so it's uh, it's nice to to meet up with you. I appreciate you putting some time aside for, for us. Oh, this is all. I just keep on saying thank you. This is just exciting to be <laughs> on your show. Good. Good. Well, I'd love to talk about a few things. I I think you're really equipped at 
painting the experience of people you work with and people you've helped that deal with, for one, anxiety um, related concerns. And I think people have a sense of what anxiety is from like an intellectual standpoint and kind of have some relation to it. But I would, I would like to kind of just hear, you know, just for starters, what we were talking about things, what people you work with who have anxiety, what they're experiencing on a daily basis and kind of the impact it is on their lives. You know, often when we talk about it and, and I have a client, I have anxiety and we say, so how does that even show up for you? Like, how do you know it's anxiety? Like, what what is going on with you? Well, you know, I just feel nervous or I'm just uncomfortable. So what I have learned about body awareness is if I can just locate the discomfort, if I can just, oh, I have a pressure in my chest or oh, my throat is closing, whatever it is somatically then, you know, with the body awareness. And I can just pay attention to that. The brain kind of starts calming down a little bit because when when I'm or other people, when we're anxious, it tend to, you know, it just starts spinning and all these crazy thoughts come along and then it kind of fuels itself. So my anxiety and my fear of panic attack creates anxiety and before I know it I'm rolling down the hill just on my own fuel alone Mm -hmm. so the the awareness that they're feeling is that I mean are you talking about certain physiologic functions um, that are seemingly off like heart rate or um, you know uh, muscle tightness what can you Kind of paint that a little bit further. So clients often say, you know, I get sweaty hands or my heartbeat goes up or I feel a pressure in my chest or it's all kinds of different, you know, I start shaking or whatever it is, it's this kind of almost floating thing. And if they don't pay attention to it, we can't really ground anywhere. It's more like I'm just kind of a loose buoy in the ocean and, you know, whatever happens, I don't have a, a, a place inside of me where I can, oh, here we go. Here is the anxiety. And then mm-hmm. learn to calm down that. And when I say calm down, it sounds like you're supposed to do something. And what I have learned is to do nothing. Mm-hmm. It's to actually totally let go and give up any resistance to what's happening and it's like letting the air out of the balloon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because I think on the flip side, people have for years been told with anxiety, well, if you're feeling anxiety, change this thought and then this behavior and then you know, your anxiety should follow suit and reduce. Um, but for a great deal of people, you know, maybe that helped, but for even, you know, a, a, a large percentage of people, um, that can make things even more difficult, right? Yeah. And the thing, so it was explained for, uh, I have a book about how emotions are made by Barrett. Um, oh, I draw a blank on her name now. It's the whole idea about that the brain lives in a dark box. And the brain's job is to keep us alive. So it needs to constantly know that we're safe, right? And then that it can predict what's going to happen next. Because no surprises. If there are any surprises, we might die. You know, from the bro- so when she explains that that the only thing the brain knows is the filing cabinet from what's happened before, and any kind of stimuli from the body, and any stimuli from the out from our five senses. Yeah. So there it lives, and dependent on what happened in your childhood, I mean everything. It it could be a smell and. Mm-hmm. You're right back in that kitchen where you got beaten. I mean, it, it doesn't really yeah. matter. And 
So how do we do when that happens? Well, if we do nothing and we notice what happens in the body, here it comes. And it's most likely a wave of discomfort. And then we just body surf. We just, the more I can allow even like a bubble come up, you know, feel like I'm throwing up a hairball. It's just this, oh, I don't like it. Every time we can do that and just process it, we're updating the brain to say, you know what, that smell is old. That's not now. Yep. You know, and then we kind of resolve that trigger. Yeah. So it it seems to me, you know, with this allowing um, things to kind of as a wave, as you put it, um, there it seems to me as though it really takes a lot of the doing out of this process, you know, as far as what can I do to reverse my anxiety? Yep. What, in fact, you know, what you're saying is quite different. Well, if you think of, if you push your hands together, you know how we do this and we just push, 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 and we get nowhere and we get exhausted and we have, if we do the same thing emotionally and we do the same thing somatically, we have created our own survival structure, you know, from when we start walking about how not to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So we hold on to ourselves in whatever way we have learned to hold on to ourselves. And mm -hmm. then we get anxious or we get scared and we holding on more, you know, mm -hmm. instead of just give up. And then they think, oh, what do you mean give up? Not to the situation not to any people, you're giving up internally because it's never the sensation that is the problem. It's, the, it's never the situation that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's the sensation internally that the situation trigger. So the smell or the person or the situation or whatever it is, it's just the trigger for this mm. structure to wake up. You know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I recently heard that um, anxiety, the the onset of anxiety always begins with a sensation. I think so. And that's such a different way of looking things versus it always begins with a thought mm -hmm. or, you know, um, or it always begins when you do a certain activity or around a certain person, but it's, it's really a sensation you're feeling that sends a signal to the brain that you're in danger. Right. I, I think, let's say you ran out of a burning house and then you're sitting somewhere five years later and you smell smoke. <laughs> Bam. You don't have to have a thought to get anxious. Your whole body goes, Ooh! I remember that. It's back in the filing cabinet, you know? So there are experts that argue either way. I do believe it starts with a sensation, and then the sensation triggered that thought that people say creates anxiety. Yeah, and so that kind of back to what you originally said is, you know, if, if they're shining a light or becoming an creating an awareness for some people, I can imagine that is just a completely new terrain or new way of being, um, especially I imagine people who grew up in certain generations or certain um, dysfunctions. Um, can you talk about that? Like what, what's it like for someone to start paying attention to their their somatic experience. And is that like a big, is that kind of like a, a jump into um, kind of a scary place for people or is it, is it, does it feel safe for most people? I think it's very uncomfortable. 
and it's scary. And uh, that's the reason why we don't jump in, you know, because it's kind of like a lot of people do this exposure therapy and things. I mean, I just throw you in the hot tub and then eventually you get used to the heat. Whereas we more, we just stick our toe in and then we take a cup out. And then we do this a couple of times. And after a while, the hot tub is, you know, lukewarm and half full. And then if you want to look a little more, because the moment it becomes overwhelming, it's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, if I get overwhelmed by the session, I'm not processing anything. Mm -hmm. If I can sit and have my cognitive brain going and saying, you know, this, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Oh, I feel this, but I'm, I'm here. You know, I know I'm here and I'm just body surfing and you stay on top of the wave the whole way. And that's the paying attention. That's the cognition. Just let the body do it. The body knows how to do it. If we can just get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that you know, from a guess physiologic standpoint, um, learning about the autonomic nervous system and you know how it kind of runs in the background of our body, of our um, it's a background nervous system where we don't have like a control over it, um, and its sole purpose really is to restore balance, right? So it it's. Uh, it's interesting to kind of get out of the autonomic nervous system's way and allow your body to regulate. So it really resonates with me on, on that level. And you know, people have lower back pain and they have neck pain and they have all kinds of pains. And I do not claim that I heal anybody with physical pain. The interesting thing is that after a couple of sessions, a lot of this physical pain is subsiding. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's a nice coincidence, but you know, we can stay there. Yeah. And how do you how do you explain that? In my world, and I'm not a doctor, when we tense up and we have tight muscles and tighten, it just it hurts. You know, it starts very mm-hmm. small. And and then it's this crazy part that we learn how to, you know, do you see people walk around like this? Do you see people? Do you see people's faces? It's all mm-hmm. kinds of things we do to kind of protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then when we learn to, oh, not to calm down, but to give up, give up the fight, surrender. Mm-hmm. Just it's like you're gonna take a cold shower and you're gonna look for 60 seconds and you're standing in the shower and you're like <sighs> or what happened is you don't oh give up. It's still maybe not comfortable, but it sure makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea. Well, what I present, you know, what I keep on saying is surrender. Surrender your internal fight against what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some people have troubles with this world, like a lot of people do, as far as naming what's going on with them, putting an awareness. Do you do you feel like that's irrelevant is is to is to be able to have a language to discuss like where the anxiety is in the body? what the symptoms are, do you feel like that's irrelevant or is it relevant? I think it's very relevant to the client. So when I work with someone, first of all, that the clients feel safe, you know, but also that the client feels safe enough to call it whatever it is. Because I don't know, I can't express myself. I don't know what that thing is. It doesn't matter. And if you can put a name on it, that's for for you. I don't need to know. Mm You know, as long as you know, oh, there is that thing. Is it a rock? Is it a raw piece of wood? I mean, whatever comes to you, oh, it feels like an ice cold, big bowling ball in my belly. Okay, then that's what it is. And we don't question that. What would you like to do with that 
thing, you know, so that we can kind of recognize this is an interception, you know, this is what's going on in my body. Mm -hmm. And many people say they only yeah. breathe down to, you know, like down to here. I mean, the more scared we are and we, well, what's below there? Oh, I don't want to go there, you know? Ah, oh, see, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful because I think that would be a big source of resistance from anybody who's trying to connect with connect with their somatic nervous system or connect with um, if there's not the pressure to kind of label it or name it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that helps because I, I know a, a lot of people based on neurodivergency or other, you know, conditions or situations that that's just not, it doesn't come very easy to be able to um, explain something that's, I'd say more software than hardware you know, the body and the sensations and the stimuli and the kind of pain signaling is, is not as concrete as like, you know, I broke my arm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important, like I tell like every client, you cannot be wrong. You can't do anything wrong. Only you know what you're feeling. And if mm -hmm. it's a bubble or a feather or whatever it is, doesn't matter to me. As long as you kind of just start mapping out your body and recognize, oh, there is that thing again. I'm starting getting anxious and scared, and now I want to lash out on my spouse or whatever. Well, before you do that, can you just, like I used to teach, stop, drop, check. Can you just stop? Ask yourself, do I feel safe? Well, yeah, kind of. Do you drop? You don't exhale. You just... And then you check, what are you noticing in your body right now? Well, my chest is hot. Well, let it be hot. Mm. And then you stay out of the fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because um, learning how to self-soothe like this and kind of soothe and calm your nervous system, um, in my opinion, should be kind of taught in every kindergarten, you know, first grade, even younger preschool, because it's, it's such a, um, it's, it's such a valuable way to prevent self-destruction and prevent destruction of relationships is if you just know how to self-soothe. And even self-soothing is kind of an active role right yeah and i would even yes. say let go so i think what comes into that play that is a little bit challenging for me to hear is that um there's a sense of vulnerability in letting go right so there's a sense of you're not doing anything to take charge of your emotion. You're just surrendering to it, which is obviously a powerful kind of act of trust. Um, but there's a certain sense of, you know, where I, I can imagine there's some walls up mm -hmm. to that. Can, do you, do you run into that? Yeah. And it's, let's say that you sit in bumper to bumper traffic. You have to be somewhere and you're, you're going to run late and you start feeling that, you know, and it's now you're getting really mad. You might even call somebody and scream at them because you need to get it out mm -hmm. somehow. And all I'm saying is surrender to the pressure internally because the pressure is only there because of this push. Because we don't want to feel that anger or anxiety that's there. So we just kind of push it down like we're sitting on a lid. And it becomes mm -hmm. more and more of a pressure cooker. So then we need a valve or something before we explode, right? And get into, you know, road rage. 
we need a valve. And so the valves that I call are managing the anger or the anxiety. Psst, we call someone, we roll down the window, we scream or whatever it is we do to oh, soothe ourselves. I would rather you turn down the heat on the pressure cooker by and only surrender internally. It's not giving up power. It's not giving up anything to your outside world. It's just stop mm -hmm. fighting your own sensations. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Interesting. Though? It does make sense. It it sounds more of to me like um, it's it's buffering and giving yeah giving a sense of um relief and pressure release um of course um but it's also kind of what they call in porges's world um like a it seems like a vagal nerve break like just kind of like pumps the brakes and mm -hmm. releases kind of where this thing was going mm -hmm. Um, without having to be cognitive and do anything about it, just yeah, let let off the let off the um, the gas. <laughs> well, and I think that's whatever the magic. You know how the bubbles ascend from the ocean. There, you know, there are one, two, three, four. If you can catch them there, oh, I'm irritated. I mean, oh, bumper to bumper traffic. I know my one and two and three bubble. If I know them, I can just right. A three and a four. If I don't know about my body sensations and stuff, it will come up bigger, bigger, bigger. And before you know it, it's like pushing down a beach ball underwater. You know, and everything, mm -hmm. all your consciousness is used up to not, you know, push that. Mm -hmm. well, it's traffic. Darn it. I'm going to mm -hmm. be late. Oh, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. And what about people who are like your most co complicated, you know, type patients or clients where this is just, there's just something getting in the way. Like, what is that about? Like, they, they can't get to this point. What What is getting in the way? There is one type sounds so bad. Some clients don't feel anything. They say, I don't feel anything. Oh, you're sure you don't feel anything in your chest? Nothing. I don't understand what you're saying. I, I, I don't feel anything. Well, do you feel something before you have to go to the bathroom? Well, well, yeah. Okay. So that's interception. You know, that's kind of a physical sensation. Do you feel hungry? Do you feel so we can start there. How do you feel when you're thirsty? You know, there is some somatic awareness that we have. I know there are exceptions and there are people who don't even know they're hungry, but regularly within those barriers, we know when we're hungry, when we, so those, we can start there. There is sometimes clients get irritated because I, I just don't feel anything. Okay. And how does that feel? Mm. Well, I'm angry now. Hmm. Interesting. How do you know you're angry? Well, I get angry in my brain. There comes this thought, you know. Mm -hmm. I wonder what triggers that thought. And eventually, I have a stomachache. Ah. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of, a lot of people never feel anything. I work with clients that are 60, 70 years old. They haven't had recognized the somatic feeling, you know. Yeah. And how many, how much, how much of the inability to get to that place or the kind of the obstacles to get there is related to um, addiction or addictive thoughts, addictive behaviors? Like, how, how does that play in? So even listen to Gabor Mate and, and all these, you know, doctors out there, the whole idea yeah. about addictive behavior, and it's a, it's a way of getting away from our pain. 
Mm. You know, and, and the pain is there. And what have I done from the moment I was five, six, or whatever, when the pain started and whatever happened, to not trivialize the trauma, but the whole thing at what what did I learn to do to not feel what I'm feeling right now or the discomfort? You know, maybe mm. I ate ice cream and then there was some whiskey in dad's bar or what, whatever it is that I'm starting to grab. And then I notice, ah, I'm not feeling that thing right now when I do this, whatever this is. So we're going to continue to do this as long, and they can work for your whole life. You can eat yourself to 500 pounds. You can drink yourself down in the gutter. I mean, and according, you know, to the expert, we will continue to do what it is we do to not feel the discomfort until it stops working. And then go on to something else. We can go on. Often. Yeah. And they often say, you know, you put the bottle down, like with alcohol, you put down the bottle and we go to sex, money and food. You know, it's that balloon dog, you squeeze one leg and it pops out somewhere else. If we have not dealt with what really happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I think there's this trend in the world of trauma um, that, I don't know if it's a trend, but I think there's there's sort of a, for lack of better words, there's, there's, I'd say two camps um, that I see like, you know, people who um, believe they've had some trauma um, and are pretty aware of some trauma, maybe before they were um, old enough to really remember it or um, they do remember trauma or lots of little traumas or one big trauma. There's, there's so many varieties of this. And then there, and then there's this other camp where it's like, well, it's generational or it's systemic or it's, um, so we're kind of in this place where it's being thrown around a lot. Um, as far as somatic experiencing or somatic experience of trauma, how does, how do you, are we, able to kind of more clearly access where it came from with a somatic experience, or can it be these other um, definitions, generational trauma or systemic trauma? I'm sorry, systematic trauma. And and my question is, how does anybody know? Well, I mean, sometimes it's clear that you know, you mean as far as trauma, like when your trauma well, what I have learned, because when I took the SC training and everything, I wanted to know all the way down to, you know, the time. And even before then, there was something else, the time. So we go there, and what I have learned, and even, you know, is that, why do I need to really know? I know it, it, it's, it's nice, I know now, so that's good. But if, let's say that the dog attacked you when you were two years old, pre-verbal, now you're 20, 30, whatever, and you just catch yourself that you're just uncomfortable around dogs. You don't go and visit the party because they have dogs there. Or you just you start mm-hmm. noticing, what's the matter with me? Why do I not like dogs? You know, maybe mm-hmm. my girlfriend or boyfriend say, What's wrong with you? I want to buy a dog. Whatever it is, I'm starting to notice that I have something against dogs. And then one day I walk down the street and there is a dog coming up on the sidewalk and I automatically take a left and cross the street. And I'm like, what the? So I would call someone like, like me or something and say, and I would bring you to the moment when you cross the street, not try to sit and talk about what happened before you could even talk. And the magic with that is that you go to the moment when you saw the dog and you, and you cross the street. Right there, you go inside and you say, how, what are you noticing in your body right now? And all kinds of sensations come up. It's like pulling a thread out of a sweater. And you do not have to go back to being two years old and attacked by a dog. Yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense because I know like in the trauma world, I think what you're saying is the present can be a reflection of the past. Even worries about the future could be a reflection of Mm -hmm. past events. And so it's just like what's happening right now. Yeah. And right now, my body is reacting on Mm -hmm. something old. Of course, I would like to know what that is, but I can sit in therapy for 20 years and I will not remember what happened before I was two years old. Yeah. So just that alone, what's wrong with me? Why don't I know? Well, if I can get away from that, what's wrong with me? And just, bloop, 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 bloop. it's like a domino and it's just one, two, three, and the rings, you know, you throw the rock in the water and the rings are just, do, 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 and it resolves the initial like bite that the dog did when he attacked you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, so it seems like there are, you know, there's obvious um, single incident traumas, you know, such as someone who, you know, may have witnessed something like a very vivid experience, um, which, they may or may not end up with like a PTSD from it. I think there's lots of research that says that's largely genetic. If you know how people walk away from traumatic experiences, um, some people it really impacts long-term other people may not. So it's not clear, but and what you're talking about is more about what I would say is like procuring your, your experiences in your day-to-day life and working on those regardless of having to kind of go back and figure out like, where did this all start? Well, even, you know, Van der Kolk and Dr. Peter Levine and all that talk about even our memories change. Yeah. So when I finally figure out what happened, then I don't even know if it's true. Is it my memory? (laughs) So I think it, for me, it's a pretty, pretty volatile place to try to get well instead of just kind of, Learning, even when they say generational trauma, I'm not an expert in all these different labels of trauma. All I know is I couldn't breathe. My chest was hot. I crawled up on the floor with a towel in my mouth and I screamed because my stomach hurt so bad. And I had a two-year-old mm-hmm. and a three-year-old. Those, mm-hmm. you know, My panic attacks were two, three a day because I was so incredibly yeah. scared. Yeah. At that time, you don't really care where it's coming from. You just want it yeah. to stop. Right. I mean, this might be an obvious question, but I'm curious, like, what happens when people don't deal with their trauma? This is my opinion. You know, I don't know what happens to all the people. What I have seen, if I don't want to deal with it, if I compartmentalize, you know, now Gabor Mate talks about the ACE study and all this about how we get chronic illnesses from just pushing down our sensations and feelings. That mm-hmm. That's outside my scope of practice, any opinions like that. But what I have noticed is that if I, in any shape or form, try to avoid these feelings, I will pick up maybe another addiction, maybe, you know, whatever it is. I will do that it thing that I have done my entire life, but maybe a little more and more and more until it stops working. Mm. And you can shut down and then you get a heart attack. Or you can, I mean, either way, you know, my husband was a soldier. He was incredibly strong, incredibly mind strong. And he died from a heart attack. Now I'm not saying that's why, but it's, you know, we we kind of mm-hmm. develop physical illnesses because we're not listening to our body. Mm-hmm. And that's one that theory, sense. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so with the um, kind of back to the addiction piece, are you saying like addictive behaviors and addictive choices or addictive thoughts also begin with a sensation? I think so. Can you give an example? Well, just any kind of addiction. Let's say you're drinking or you're smoking. 
there is a right before you want to light that cigarette. There is a something. You wake up and you have a drink without thinking. You know, it's there isn't a conscious of, hmm, I'm not feeling that good. I think I'll have a drink. You wake up and you have a shot. But there is something, a trigger. It's almost like almost like a tick. Even with a tick, right before you do that thing, there is something. If you could just pay attention and then, oh, right there, there is something. And according, you know, there's like too much energy in the body. It's like the battery is too full. So it sparkles all over and you get this uncomfortable things. And you know by your own choice of addiction what's going to fix that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you just, before you know it, you find yourself in the fridge and you eat something. Yeah, right. That is really interesting. Um, so it makes me think about these terms, mindfulness versus mindlessness. Mm-hmm. Like, where where do you stand on that continuum? <laughs> well, Eckhart Tolle doesn't like mindfulness because he doesn't like the mind right. to be full, you know. And I think it just plays with words. It's um, It gets to the point where I'm kind of addicted to this kind of work, so I listen to everything. And before I know it, it's like, well, gee, that's another opinion. What is mindlessness? Is anybody mindless? Are you mindlessly wandering around in the forest? you still got thoughts in your head. So I don't really, uh, I'm trying to stay away from those words before I okay. talk myself into a rabbit hole, because it's more, what is happening here? Like, what's going on in your mind right now? Like, mm-hmm. what's happening? Am I nervous? Am I concerned about how I show up? Oh, I see myself on, on the screen. And what am I going to, am I self-conscious, you know? All that stuff, if I'm aware of it, I can kind of look at it and kind of giggle and say, oh, well. Yeah. I mean, I I always go back to the, the like, bucket, rain bucket analogy, kind of like, I guess I, I really feel like that works for me. I would love to hear what your thoughts are. And it's just sort of like, how full is it? And do you have a, a drain that's open? so that it's not overflowing, you know, or is it full at a, in a way that's manageable or is it getting too full or is it too empty? <laughs> like it has, to, you have to have that kind of um, balance there um, because mindlessness could mean that you're just checked out, you know, sitting on the couch, you know, with like completely checked out from life but mind excessive mindfulness may be that you're just hyper vigilant and um really consumed with your 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 sensations your thoughts your your environment and other people and um odors and light so it seems like like you said there's some type of um discharge and letting go um, what do you think about that analogy? So I don't know about the bucket as much as I use the pressure cooker. On, you know, okay. Only because it's, some of us are born on simmer, you know, a two on the stove. And we're just, <laughs> yeah. I was born on probably a 10 or something. With my- uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't think in my family there's too many simmerers. <laughs> so you learn to put a lid on. That's all I mean. You know, you put a lid on because it's the bubbles are too big. It's too much to deal with. It's like standing on an earthquake and then someone tells you, read this book. What? I, I just don't want to fall over. You know, And often with PTS or anxiety, a panic attack, even with kids in school, you know, they give them drugs now so they can sit still. A kid is not supposed to sit yeah. still. It's supposed to climb the trees, you know? Right. So <laughs> it's this whole idea of, I, I, I just can't. And then the teacher get angry because they don't pay attention. How can you pay right. attention if you're standing on a 10-point earthquake? Or if you, you know, you, you can't. 
right. totally consumed with just surviving. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, Levine's work talks about this too. And um, what you're just in that, the um, analogy or the example you gave about a kid, a young kid and trying to sit still in school is there, there needs, there is a, a, a motor discharge of stress and tension, you know, and, you know, even that that's really healthy, mm-hmm. right? So if, if we're constantly suppressing mm-hmm. um, this, you know, with, if, you know, stoic behavior and, you know, making sure that you never, you know, show, let them see you sweat and, you know, all these kind of like, when I was growing up, it was like, act like John Wayne, yeah. who was like the, the main like cowboy <laughs> in the movies. Um, what, what do you, uh, can you talk about that? Like this, like need for discharge, like Levine talks about how animals who experience trauma or stress will go behind a, into like a safe place and just shake. Mm-hmm. And they shake and then they go around like nothing ever happened. Because they got rid of that extra charge. Yeah. Now, we never get the opportunity to get rid of the extra charge. Stop crying. Act like Wayne. (laughs) You know? (laughs) We don't get, oh, honey, let's sit here and discharge. Our parents didn't know it. I didn't know it. I mean, so... If you, and you see the great polar bear on YouTube that Dr. Levine also talks about, you know, they shoot a polar bear with them, numbing to to mark them. And then when he wakes up, it's the same thing. He shakes and, and then he walks away like nothing happened. Yeah. So with where yeah. I come with the pressure cooker is that every single time something overwhelming happened to us. <laughs> And then we don't get to discharge. That's where the lid comes on. We put a lid on because we can't feel this. It's too uncomfortable. And then we create all these valves, alcohol, cigarettes, food, whatever. Picking your nose, scratching. I mean, whatever you do to kind of just get, bite your nails. You see people that just sit and, you know, what is that? There's something going on in the bodies that makes us not be able to just sit still. Right. Yeah. And I think it's um, to not make it a culture of, you know, that we're supposed to be these stoic Mm -hmm. kind of um, can handle anything got your feelings type people and, and actually figure out how, what, what needs to be done for the body in those situations. I I also think about last, I think it was last summer, there was a um, whale that lost her calf diet um, in the, I live up in the Seattle area swimming around um, right outside of Orcas Island um, and the whale, um, for days swam around with the calf under mm-hmm. the, um, fin until she was ready mm-hmm. to let go. It's the most profound experience I've ever seen as far as seeing like the deepness of grief Mm -hmm. from a very raw, pure perspective. Um, And it just, it's, there's so much wisdom Mm -hmm. there. In comparison to when we turned off the life support on my daughter, I wasn't allowed to be there and say goodbye. So they hush you out of the room. They turn off the life support and you hear the beeping and eventually you can't wait for it to stop. And then they come up with an ice cold little baby and said, here, you want to say goodbye? And they hand you this and you stand there like, what? And I couldn't be in there and hold her hand. You know, it's, 
it is so not natural what they're doing to us humans that, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, such a, that kind of trauma is, you know, is a whole, it's, it's so inconsistent with what you are needing, right? Um, and I imagine, well, how, did you, did you, um, did you go through, like, did you have to go through your own way of giving yourself that experience? Well, we didn't know anybody. My husband is a soldier, so he didn't drop a tear. But I was, I didn't even get what happened. It, it, it was almost like I still have milk left. I'm saying, wait a minute. I, you know, she was two months old. I still had a belly. I mean, it was just like, wait. And um, we didn't have anybody. We didn't have any family here or, or I. I had started going to 12-step programs because we had just, you know, stopped drinking. So with that in mind, I lived in these meetings and I just sat and cried and screamed and, you know, and just like, I don't until, until it stopped. And it took me a long, so I think this is my argument with 12-step programs and so on too, which I love. They have saved me. We just forget about the body. You know, it's a spiritual program and you can sit and think everything away. And in my world, I couldn't. You know, I had 16, 16 years of sobriety and I was crazy, you know, with manic depressive. They labeled me with all thing and I was flying off. And then finally someone, then I finally met SE and I went in and started my SE training and I had a couple of sessions and it was like, I came up for air. Mm -hmm. It was amazing because I had all I had been doing for all these years was to hold on to myself. Mm-hmm. And I had not learned anywhere that that had to do with the body, not because I was crazy or something. It was a body sensation that drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. And if I could resolve that and just, ah, uh, it would just whoop, 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 by itself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, and, you know, I think those listening to this should know that we shared before we were talking that we were both bereaved um, parents, and you had shared to me shared with me about your daughter, and I had just learned actually earlier today that um, about her journey and your experience, and um, and my own. You know, I think there's lots of twists and turns to losing my son. But, you know, one of the things that really was profound for me is there. So there was one part of his life where um, we thought we lost him and he looked like we were going to lose him. And he was in the emergency room and the doctors come out and, you know, you're kind of getting this word of like what had happened. And I remember such a somatic experience from that, like this big hole in my stomach, like essentially that, um, I felt I I could not even explain other than that. Just like, I felt like my insides had been ripped out and I've never really spoke about that on this podcast or what have you. Um, but I think it's important to share. Um, and then, you know, he recovered from that and thought we were going to have him, you know, for, you know, that he was going to live from that point on. And um, eventually he did not, but I remember going to get some help um, uh, around that experience um, of, in that sensation that I was carrying mm-hmm. and it wasn't going away. And uh, going through like EMDR and some other really profound experiences and actually kind of restoring that sensation, but that body memory is still there. Um, 
but it, it's it's really fascinating. You know, this, this whole thing, the body keeps the score and, mm-hmm. you know, this, that phrase is so true and kind of, kind of brings me full circle is that I think the gift of what you're doing is that we're all, we don't have to rank people's losses or traumas or whose grief is more, who grief is less. And wow, yours, you had it worse than me. You had it. We're kind of like a community of a world that is all dealing with this. And there is no scale on pain. Right. Yes, exactly. And so the, the, the important thing is, are you feeling this? Or is this happening to you? And it's not about uh, yours isn't as bad. So you should just be able to brush this off or you're mild, you're moderate. You're, it's, it's happening. And to, learn a way of being with yourself and learning an awareness of, of, you know, kind of how to, to live and move, move through this. And that hole that you're talking about, I had a similar hole myself when Christina died. And the thing is that hole and the way I tried not to feel that hole now, when I didn't have alcohol or cigarettes to use anymore, it was this constant keeping the beach ball underwater which made me a horrendous mom because I had two more babies that had health issues. Mm-hmm. So they had breathing problems and they could die because they could die from SID. So you're, mm-hmm. you know, your earthquake is on 10 and then people, mm-hmm. you don't behave normally. People don't want to be around mm-hmm. you. You snap and you bite and you do, because you're like, you don't know what's going on. You're surviving. Mm-hmm. So you become one of those parent helicopter moms, you know, Mm-hmm. I've lost one child. I'm not about to lose any other. So you become this overwhelming mama bear, which is no good mm-hmm. for anybody. You yeah. know, so had I had SE right when Christina died, instead of I sat and talked therapy for six years and talked about it, didn't make me feel any better. But had I had anybody that had helped me with this pressure in my chest and these overwhelming yeah. stomach cramps, Maybe I could have been such a great mom, you know, because the fear and the anxiety and the panic attacks makes you overwhelmingly narcissistic. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. all about me and surviving, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's sad that kids don't get to climb up the slide because oh, they're going to fall backwards and die. Every time they're going to die because you're controlled by your past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's yeah. so important to just be able to, yeah. you know. I think that's such a gift that you're offering. Um, I remember, you know, early on in my process, like getting some help and, you know, my whole thing was like, why did this happen? What what can I you know, kind of trying to figure out and make some existential um, connection to the process and trying to get peace with the existential experience of losing a child. And, and I remember working with someone and they said, you're the only thing you need to do right now is focus on calming your nervous system Mm -hmm. that's it don't figure out why what happened what could have done differently what could have um what could have you uh changed and what does this mean about the universe and god and and all this stuff and i that was the biggest gift Mm -hmm. ever and i always go back to that because you know ultimately we fall back into these patterns easily in times of overwhelm but um i always go back to that and it it reminds me kind of like of the gift you're giving to people is you know kind of just loving yourself in that way and when a client i work 
with quite a few young people with, you know, neurodiversity and so on in college and the whole self-consciousness and the social fears and all that stuff to recognize that there is a space between you and the thought. You know, Dr. Mm -hmm. Levine used to say, I have a thought that says, and then whatever it says, they're looking at me funny. However, that's a thought. It's not me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the practice in some sessions when we, do you see what happens now? When you can start seeing the thought, you're not in it anymore. Then yep. it loses its control over you. So I couldn't see my glasses. Christina was sitting right on my glasses, you know. Her, the, the ICU, it was right on my glasses. I saw my world through these glasses. Mm -hmm. I saw my kids dying because, you know. So that's the whole thing when you start recognizing, wait a minute, that is the past. And I couldn't notice that until I finally, the body stopped cramping, you know, and itching and things. Wow. Amazing. Well, this has been really wonderful talking with you. Um, I now am really clear why we were brought together. It's been wonderful <laughs> to talk with you. I just so appreciate well an opportunity to just let people know that you you don't have to relive your trauma to heal from it. Mm, beautiful. You don't have to. That's a great place to kind of encapsulate this message. So um, thank you. And I would love to hear more about ways people can work with you and what you're, what you're offering now as far as classes and those types of uh, opportunities for people to kind of learn from you. Well, the best way is actually to go. I don't know. Do you have my website? Should I? Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, to just go to the website and just book a free Q and A, you know, just to see what it is I do, because it's difficult to explain what I do. How do you explain mm -hmm. body awareness? I mean, it's kind of, mm -hmm. and how do you explain what you do in a session? So it almost becomes a mm -hmm. mini session just for people to kind of get what it is we do in a session. Mm -hmm. And I have two courses online, you know, on, I have a social ease in the world of autism, just, just to kind mm. of learning that distance with your thinking and learning the body awareness and so on. And it's a two week course. And I have another course that says, you know, beyond recovery. I do believe that there is something far beyond just putting down the drug or, you know, you put down the drug, that's just the beginning of the healing. Yep. Yeah. I don't do a workshop Excellent. right now. I'm offering a online workshop. It's been interesting of also socialists in the world of autism and another, you know, we're offering um a smaller a smaller course. It's 10 people because we would like to give some personal attention to each one. Mm -hmm. So it's going to come mm -hmm. up on my website within a week. I have someone that's techie <laughs> that will put it up and it's going to be a small class, just 10 people about, you know, how to, um, how to heal your, not heal yourself, but how to learn to calm down, you know, Wonderful. by letting go. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll put all the links in our show notes to your website and oh, courses. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd love to, you know, put it out there that we'll meet up again sometime down the road and have another one of these conversations. Oh, I would love to. Oh, and my book. Can I? Yes, my please. My book right there. It's on my website, you know, getting unstuck from life limiting habits. And that's the whole I. You said there's going to be an audio version or yeah. there already is? No, there isn't. I. It's going to be an audio book on this one. This one will come out with a new cover and a workbook. It's right Excellent. in the process, so I it's not. 
I love I love the workbooks. Those are great. <laughs> yeah, it's um, my editor. I I need someone to criticize it correctly. So awesome. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that too. And um, well, thank you for your time. I so appreciate this opportunity. It's been wonderful. So thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. For the the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.